For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Believe in Vanderbilt Football podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Here in the Music City, I'm your host, Matt Perkins. On today's show, we have Simon Gibbs, the sports editor from the Vanderbilt Hustler. He recently interviewed new athletic director Candace Story Lee, and he's here to talk about his conversation with her and how he sees the Vanderbilt Athletic Department going forward in this time of COVID-19. Before we get started with the show, we can't forget to... All right, today I am joined by Simon Gibbs, the sports editor for the Vanderbilt Hustler. Simon, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Uh, for those of you who haven't read it yet, Simon had a great Q&A with new Vanderbilt athletic director Candace Story Lee. And I wanted to pick his brain a little bit more about her hiring and some of the other things that are going on with Vanderbilt sports here during the pandemic and what we can look forward to in the fall. So um, obviously, Candace Story Lee was hired from her interim position uh, in her former position as deputy athletic director. So, uh, Simon, you had a really interesting interview with her last week. How do you think that her strategic plan that she laid out back in February is going to be affected by COVID-19? So um, I think there are a few things to note with the, with the uh, strategic plan that, that was released in February. First and foremost is that this strategic plan merely lays out goals for the athletic department. There were five sort of benchmarks that they wanted to harp on, but unfortunately the strategic plan was, I would say it was a bit um, unclear what was going to be, you know, what they were going to solve or what they were going to address in that. And when it was released, um, a lot of fans and, and a lot of members of the media were expecting sort of a huge facilities upgrade plan, which is actually not what it was. Um, And as they released the strategic plan, um, they said that this strategic plan will merely lay down benchmarks for what is to come, which is a master facilities plan. That's the plan that people are really going to have their eyes glued to. Um, so this one is sort of like a, a, a more minor, or I guess it's, 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 it's broader in that uh, it's setting, setting uh, goals for the athletic department, but it doesn't address the specific uh, renovations and the specific things they're going to do uh, to solve these issues um, and address these, you know, needs. Uh, but at the same time, um, I think that that the strategic plan is provides a basis for what they're hoping to do. But obviously, given this the the COVID outbreak and and the drawback that's going to come along with that, they're going to have trouble. Um, uh, you know, addressing all of these needs. And the one that stands out the most to me, and I'm sure we'll get into this, is fan experience. That was one of the five benchmarks they laid out. 
And I truly believe that when it comes to the other ones, you know, uh, engagement with, with alumni and engagement with donors, those are things that can be addressed despite the outbreak. You could still continue those relations and you could still improve those relations. But the fan experience benchmark focuses on game day experience and building relationships with fans all while creating a, a broader fan base and reaching more newer fans in Nashville. And I think that's going to be significantly difficult this year because personally, I don't see a way that they're going to, to allow fans in the fall. Um, so that's, I guess what I'm going to keep my eyes peeled. Um, how is Candace story league going to address the fan experience component given the circumstances, because that's going to be challenging for any school in the SEC, really. Yeah, it's going to be challenging for schools, not just in the SEC, but nationwide. And I think that at least the FBS schools will have a bit of a leg up on like, you know, if you're at a D2 or a D3 school, I cannot even imagine like that they would even have sports this fall. So I think that they'll they'll be an altered fan experience. I, th- I think that there's just too much money in football to not have football in some way, shape or form, even if it's, you know, just televised out of an empty stadium. I think that we are going to see at least some semblance of college football. Nonetheless, how do you think that her time as a student athlete and Vanderbilt can sort of inform that and reshape the way that we get fan engagement with the Commodores? So one thing I thought was unique for my Q&A is I sort of asked her the same question because I figured that, you know, that experience being a student athlete and being, you know, a product of this environment of Vanderbilt athletics would be huge. Um, I thought it would be very helpful, but she took a very humble approach and said, you know, I can't be quick to assume that my experience is the same as all current student athletes and all, all athletes in other sports, because obviously she was a women's basketball player. Um, but she did say, it, it, you know, it provides a background. It provides some sort of basis for her to know sort of the inner workings of athletics, the inner workings of the university. Um, and above all, I think it is helpful. But what's potentially the biggest advantage, um, the, the thing that is going to benefit her the most is not necessarily her student athlete experience. I do think that'll help her. But it's more so her, her massive uh, resume of experiences working in Vanderbilt athletics. Yeah, she's been there for, what, 20 years now, give or take? Yes, almost 20 years. And working under David Williams for many years as the deputy athletic director, David Williams, you know, had a huge um, mark on Vanderbilt's reputation. You know, he hired Coach Corbin. He hired James Franklin. um, And at the end of the day, he was at one point discussing renovations to the football stadium. And while he wasn't able to accomplish those, he he made some progress. He did at one point talk to the Tennessean about the fact, I believe he said that they were hoping in 2016 that they could break ground in three or four years on renovations. Obviously that didn't happen, but Candace Story Lee was sitting, you know, shotgun. She was right there with him watching this unfold. So she has experiences that frankly, no other candidate that you brought in would have. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you think that the renovations to the football stadium are the most pressing need in terms of fan experience and to get more people engaged with not just the football team, but Vanderbilt athletics in general? Um, I think, I think yes. Um, and I think because look, obviously the product also has something to do with it. Um, if you put out a winning football program, as we've seen in the past, you know, the James Franklin teams that won nine games in a season twice, I believe it was, um, those teams brought fans in the stands. Those teams really, really packed the stadium. And I will say the product has something to do with it, but the product is really improved 
by the stadium itself because Derek Mason is working an uphill battle here. He is certainly tasked with a near impossible recruiting pitch when a facility or, or when he shows recruits their facilities and then a recruit walks into any other SEC school and sees what they have to offer. So it is really hard for him. And I do believe that improving that stadium will not only make the fans more engaged and make them more willing to, you know, buy season tickets and come to the games, but it will make the recruits, the top recruits more inclined to, to give Vanderbilt, you know, serious consideration. And by, by improving that leg, um, I do think it'll improve the product on the field. And then again, uh, improve the fan experience, bring in more fans. So it's really all interconnected in that matter. And so one of the other sort of big picture things with the hiring of Candace is the fact that she is the first African-American woman to be an AD in the SEC. You know, she's obviously going to be one of the most high profile ADs because of that. Do you think she can use that to her advantage in terms of fundraising and, you know, overall improving the, the public standing of the Vanderbilt Athletic Department? You know, I don't think she needs to use it to her advantage. And I say that because it is a monumental hire. And this is a big deal. It's a little sad that this hasn't happened before. But Candace Story Lee did not get this promotion because it was a landmark hire. Candace Story Lee got this promotion because she was clearly the most qualified candidate by a landslide. And I think that that's what people should be looking at. Yes, she is the first African-American woman to lead an SEC athletic department, but she was also absolutely the top candidate for this job. And I think Vanderbilt deserves a pat on the back for, you know, not just what people are talking about being a monumental hiring, but Vanderbilt deserves a pat on the back for identifying the best candidate, the candidate that David Williams really wanted to succeed him. So I'm really happy for Candace and I'm really happy for the athletics department for making that hire. But I think, you know, she needs to be looked at as more than just, you know, the first African-American woman to be promoted to athletic director. I think she needs to be looked at as, you know, the athletic director that knows what she's doing. She was a student athlete. She's a product of the environment that she's now leading. And she has extensive knowledge that perhaps no other Vanderbilt administrator in the athletic department might have, because I know most of them haven't been there as long as her. And the ones that have, you know, are not quite in high up positions like she is. She was definitely the best candidate by yeah. leaps and bounds. And I know that, you know, even when she came out to talk to the audience at basketball games and things like that, she was extraordinarily impressive. Yeah, and totally. she, she is so not just like, obviously extraordinarily intelligent and hardworking, but poised. And she, when she presents and she, she just comes off as such an impressive, intelligent, but not condescending person. So, which is definitely unique amongst ADs because we see a lot of bravado from, you know, not just SEC ADs, but from ADs across the country in general. And she seems to have both the humanity yet business savvy to really want to run a first class athletic department. Speaking of the SEC though, obviously they lifted their ban on voluntary workouts switching over to football now, but VU, you know, under Lee hasn't really had much of a response to what they are going to do in terms of opening up facilities and allowing voluntary workouts and things like that. How do you see that timeline playing out? That's a tough question because um, I think Vanderbilt is being faced with a decision that is unbelievably difficult. And I can't stress this enough. I think people are overlooking the importance of this decision. Um, Vanderbilt is still in phase one of its four phase opening um, over the summer. Uh, and I know that phase one of the opening really doesn't have these sorts of, of doesn't really 
explicitly say that they're going to permit student athletes in, right? So they can't move up a stage just to let these student athletes in. At the same time, if they let these student athletes in, we have to realize that the SEC's policy uh, requires that they're tested prior to entering the facilities, you know, when they first arrive on campus, but no one, and I mean, no one is tested again until they exhibit symptoms. And that could be really dangerous. And as a student myself, who still has absolutely no idea if I'm invited to campus in the fall, I think that they're treading water, treading water right now, because this could be, you know, it's really a tough decision because both sides have, have extreme drawback. If they don't let the student athletes practice or have the voluntary workouts, the student athletes could very well fall behind in the competition because we know that almost every other SEC school, not every, but almost every other, um, has publicly said they will let their student athletes come back by June 8th. So they could fall behind if they opt to not let them come back. But if they do let them come back and it goes extremely poorly, you know, if one person exhibits symptoms, they test positive, who knows how many people might on that team or in that program might have it. So in that scenario, Vanderbilt might learn that, you know, they might be less prepared to open than they believe they are. Um, so this is a significant decision. And frankly, I think the decision has to be made. I would, I would expect at least it has to be made by the beginning of next week. Of course, I don't know for sure. Um, but I reached out to Vanderbilt Athletics this morning and there still has not been a decision made on the matter. And if by Monday of next week, by early June, they have not let their student athletes know it becomes almost impossible for the student athletes to, you know, prepare to return to campus. And so I think it's important that they give them the heads up, but at the same time, it's important that they release the decision with enough time that it makes it look like an independent decision. Because the one thing I'm worried about is that they wait for all 13 other SEC schools to publicly say, yes, we're letting our student athletes come back on June 8th. And then they make the same decision. That to me sort of looks like a, a poor way of making the decision. And, and although it might not be how they went about it, to me, it seems like at that point, they're just jumping on the bandwagon and trying to do what everyone else is doing. Because at that point, they're, they truly are pressured into making that decision because they don't want to be the only program that falls behind. I think they need to make a stand and they need to make it soon. Yeah, the optics of having a, you know, that decision timeline are going to be very important. And we talk about, you know, just from a competitive standpoint, I mean, Vanderbilt's already behind the eight ball in terms of academic requirements to get into the school, not being able to recruit the same players as, you know, your your Alabamas and Floridas of the world. But on on top of that, it is going to be, they you know, they have two new coordinators this year and they barely got any spring practice and they're, they're trying to install an entirely new offense and defense, which is, you know, difficult enough as it is. On top of that, if you can't have you know the players on campus to do so you're even you know you're, you're starting at you know first and 20 instead of first and 10 so it's not exactly the uh you know the ideal way to kickstart uh, the new era with uh, todd fitch and ted roof so um you know uh do you think you know you talked about earlier if if there's going to be games this fall we're not even sure i think there's going to be at least some semblance of games but yeah, I think that there's just there's too much of a financial incentive for FBS schools, especially Power Five schools, to not have football. The football money, as you know, you know, funds you know entire athletic departments for a lot of schools. So it is you know they need that TV money. But do you think that there will be you know 
games here at home in you know at, at, at our home stadium here will there be will there be fans in the crowds i mean obviously there's so much unknown but especially as in comparison to other sec schools i would imagine that vanderbilt is the least likely to have fans in the stands um i think that honestly i think that you know i'm struggling to 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 comprehend the possibility that schools might handle this differently because at the end of the day if our student athletes go into another school that's letting thousands and thousands and thousands of people into the stands, they really could be facing the same risk and bringing that same risk back to our campus. So I do think that the decision on fans might be made in tandem. You know, I think all the schools will have to agree on something or at least agree in principle on something. I don't think Vanderbilt is going to have fans in the stands. I don't think they're ready for it. But at the same time, I don't know what's going to change over the summer. You know, if these student athletes go back to campus on June 8th and they have their voluntary workouts and then they go into practice and they keep accelerating with absolutely no problems, I think it could be, you know, very much a possibility that fans are in the stands. But we also have to realize that it's going to be tough to monitor this because, as you mentioned, there's so much money on the line. You know, if a player on, say, Alabama is developing symptoms and is tested for COVID, is that going to become public information? I don't know. It's really tough because there's so much money on the line. So at the end of the day, I think, you know, at most, the, the, the most likely possibility at most seems like half capacity. Um, I'm hard pressed to believe that they will have fans fully uh, or fans could be in attendance in full. But I guess we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But as you mentioned, um, one thing that's certainly worth keeping an eye on is, is how challenging this is going to be for those new coordinators, especially for Todd Fitch, who has four new QBs walking on campus. I mean, that is, that is about the worst possible timing to have that sort of adjustment. Not only are you, you know, implementing your brand new playbook, but you're doing so with a quarterback battle going on campus. So... Oh, yeah. I mean, they have to not only, you know, learn to, you know, compete with each other based on, you know, what they know, you know, and we've got a, you know, a big name quarterback coming in as a, as a true freshman. And you think, you know, oftentimes you think he'd be able to compete for the job, but, you know, with just having to learn the offense and maybe having to do that remotely and you're not going to get the timing with receivers and, uh, and, and Fitch's offense that he's bringing over is much more wide open is going to be really reliant on, you know, spreading out the football and getting really good timing with the receivers and you're not going to develop that without the reps and, that is something that would concern me a lot as a Vanderbilt fan. Yeah, absolutely. So awesome. Well, listen, Simon, thank you so much for sharing your insight with us here today. We really appreciate it and hope to talk to you again soon. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thanks for listening to the Believe in Vanderbilt Football podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, anchor down. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.